Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about hitting monthly goals with the help of special guest Aaron Enfinger of the Cleary Company in Columbus, Ohio. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone out there, this is Tim Fowler and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Keep the ideas coming. Uh, Today's episode is just another one of the episodes that we're bringing to you because somebody sent in a question. The question was focused around hitting monthly revenue goals. How do you do that? How do you make sure that you got the right amount of money coming in and, and that you can actually predict it? So today, that's what we're talking about based on the question that came in uh, from our listener. Now, I have to admit to you right here that when I was a production manager, this was nowhere on my radar. And I think it, I feel a little guilty sometimes working with production managers and waving my finger at them and saying, you have to care about the monthly goals. You have to care about the cash flow. Because when I was in there, that was not something that we were talking about in the business I was in. Now, maybe it was because we had some money in the bank and, it could be a little bit fluid, but as I'm more and more engaged with businesses, I'm really understanding and not just for the first time, but understanding how important it is for a business to run off of what I'm starting to call intentionality. And so, so many businesses, the bosses or the salespeople, they just go out and sell. And then the production people get handed the package and we send the bills out based on the packages that are out there. And if we get $10,000 this month, well, some bills don't get paid. We'll get, we'll get 200,000 next month. And so that indecisiveness or that non-intentionality, I think is really scary for a business. And so we heard April from Seattle on the, uh, podcast about hitting schedules. Her little slogan is on time, on budget, on purpose. And you you probably heard me say, hey, can I use that? And uh, it's such a great phrase. And so we want to start talking about intentionality more and more. And so today we're going to be talking about setting and hitting those monthly collection goals. So let's jump into it, Steve. Yeah, I'm excited to welcome our next guest, Aaron Enfinger, who's currently the general manager at the Cleary Company, a remodel design build firm in Columbus, Ohio. Starting four years ago, Aaron was hired in the role of production manager, and as the Cleary, Cleary Company was growing steadily during those four years, it became evident in early 2017 that additional oversight and management was needed in the other areas of the organization. The role of general, general manager was created, and Aaron was promoted to the role to help fill this void. Welcome to the show again, Aaron. Thank you, Tim, and thank you, Steve. It's great to be back. So uh, just for our listeners, Aaron's one of the people that is back for his second time around uh, because of the insights and the wisdom that he brings to the table. 
So let's just get started here, uh, Aaron. Tell us again, in case somebody missed the first one, what what is the Cleary Company like? What are what are your volume uh, goals, and and how do you run the company? All right. Well, uh, so this year our goal is uh, six point two million dollars, and uh, we are a design build firm, like uh, many folks in the RA community. Um, we uh, handle uh, a lot of the production in-house. We have uh, project managers, lead carpenters, and with some other labor staff in the in the production department, we handle all of the uh, handle all of the um, framing and interior trim work and carpentry and stuff. We I, I like to say if it's got a foundation and a roof, we sub it out. But right. um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, here, uh, so that's kind of a quick glimpse of, of who the Cleary Company is. Uh, like it said, like uh, Steve said, we were in Columbus, Ohio, and um, and uh, home of Tim's alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just had to slip that in there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. So so, uh, so your your Buckeye roots go real deep. Yes, they do. So what's I think what's important about that little description is is I do think that there's a greater challenge for hitting revenue goals when you have mostly in-house staff doing your carpentry work and things like that because you can't just double up subs on a job and get some extra work done you're doing it in-house so this is very intriguing so Aaron first of all let's start with how do you even set these projected revenue goals. And if you're looking at 6 million, that's roughly $500,000 a month. If my math is a little bit accurate here. And uh, so do you just, do you just go like, okay, we have to hit $500,000 every month or we're in trouble. How do you guys actually set these revenue goals per quarter per month? So uh, when we start out at the beginning of the year and it's, some simple math. You just take your total number of, uh, you take 52 and you divide your total revenue by that. And you kind of look at your weekly number. And, uh, so that's, that's as granular as we go, uh, in terms of how we track this stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's $140,000 a week, uh, right now is what we were looking for, for this upcoming, uh, for 2019. And, um, the way that we do that is I, I break down and if, if you have, uh, some of the listeners, if they have questions, they can go back and listen to the podcast that we had before about our, the master calendar that I have. And I've got the, um, I've got the, each project broken down and I look at the total revenue that that project uh, is going to bring into the company and the number of weeks that we anticipate it's going to take to, to build that project. So for the simplicity, uh, we'll say it's a hundred thousand dollar kitchen and it's going to take 10 weeks that that project uh, produces $10,000 of weekly revenue, uh, for the overall goal for the year. So, uh, my, my spreadsheet shows each project and it shows each, uh, week's worth of volume that it adds. So I, we can add all that stuff up at each project. So by the end of the, end of the, uh, at the end of the day, what we want to see is $140,000 a week for production for us to hit our number at the end of the year. So one of the things that's obvious is nothing is actually that linear. Um, everything, right. there's an ebb and a flow throughout the year that, that is inevitable. So that, that number can, can fluctuate. You know, sometimes we're going to be below that and sometimes maybe above that. Um, but one of the critical things that you also have to keep in mind is we've planned and designed the production department to be able to comfortably handle 
$140,000 worth of production on a weekly basis. Okay. You know, so if, if, so if that number starts to go really high, then, then we know we're kind of overstressing everybody. Okay. Yeah. So how often do you actually check this with this, with this ebb and flow, you know, what are you looking at? And I guess maybe one of the things is like, what sets the alarm bells going off in your head when you're looking at the actual money coming in or projected money coming in? Uh, so what sets the alarm bells off in my mind is uh, whenever the sales and design pipeline isn't quite where it needs to be. That's a very integral part of being able to uh, try to try to forecast things is to uh, is to make sure that you have a strong uh, pipeline that you've accounted for any of the attrition that might happen by the fact that you may lose a, 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 a client or two through the design process. So again, let's just take, for instance, if my number is $140,000 a week in production, I need my number to be about 115 to 120% of that in designs to account for the attrition that we're going to have from a design agreement. So uh, our design agreements, uh, we convert about 80 to 85 to 90% of those go to construction contracts. So you know, again, using roughly using numbers, we need roughly an additional 15% or so to kind of make up that difference so that we have a steady stream of projects going through design and coming into the production uh, department that is going to help us hit that $140,000 number every week that we're looking for. So that's, that's sort of where the alarm bells are, are ringing. I, I, we watch uh, the, the amount of, we anticipate the revenue that that a design, that a project in design is going to bring us in production. And when that number starts to dip pretty low, that's when we start getting concerned. That's a and long so, answer to a simple question, but. No, that's good because I mean, one of the things that, I mean, I'm, I'm taking down crazy notes here. And as I've said so many times in these podcasts is I'm learning stuff here and uh, I'm just writing down this, this thing about, so it's not all about production. And I think that's a key thing for everybody to understand is that this is a team effort. And in order to make it work, like Aaron's saying here, you got to know your numbers and you have to know like what percentage needs to be in production or in sales in order for production to be able to hit those numbers. Right. And, and we do push it back again, you know, one level, you know, before that we also track how many leads come in on a weekly and a monthly and quarterly basis, you know, how many of those leads actually transfer over to a qualified lead with, which is an appointment. So, you know, it, well, one of the things that you, where you have to start with being able to hit those numbers out in production is you've also got to hit your numbers all the way along the way throughout the year everywhere yeah. and yeah. making sure that, and making sure that all of the, um, all of the other uh, causes that create the effect that it gets you where you want to be. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell our listeners about something that I think is really big. On Thursday, September 26th, we are hosting our third annual production conference in Orlando, Florida. It's the only industry event delivered by fellow production superstars. That means you'll be hearing from people facing the same challenges and experiences that you face every day. Led by yours truly, this year's event features panelists and presenters with long-term experience with production management. 
As with previous years, this year's event will feature a healthy mix of large group presentations, small interactive breakout sessions, and networking opportunities to speak with the presenters and your fellow peers. And we're expecting over 200 production managers, project managers, and lead carpenters, so the networking opportunities abound. Visit productioncon.com to register. I want to see you there. Now back to the interview. So is there any seasonality to this thing? Because I know uh, when I was actually uh, working for Rhode Island Kitchen and Bath, which we've talked about a couple of times in these podcasts, is they actually projected like first quarter was, if they're going to do $4 million, first quarter was $990,000, second quarter was $125,000, summer you know, because everybody's at the beach and doesn't care about their kitchen is going to be 500,000. And then fall quarter was going to be whatever it took to make it up. Is there any seasonality in the way you look at your, your income? I know it gets pretty cold in, in Columbus in the winter time. I wouldn't want to be working on an addition, you know, there. So, I mean, I guess I'm just asking, do you guys project any seasonality? Uh, we we don't even though the reality of it is is, is that's the way that we experience it. Okay. Um, but uh, but what we try to do is we try to schedule the projects and if we need to increase our lead time uh, between so we increase our backlog time from contract to b- before we start the project, that sort of helps to kind of smooth it out a little bit. Right. Um, you know. Uh, however, though, when you do get close to the end of the year, if you were if you missed a, a quarter or two along the way. You're going to want to make that up, and so you pull a few projects forward and you get them going um, as you can, even if it is in the winter time. You know, because um, we do a lot of kitchens and baths and basements and stuff. So, uh, fortunately or, or hopefully, anyway, if we've got any any outside work where we're digging a foundation or something, right. we try to time that right before the weather gets really bad. But uh, yeah. sometimes that doesn't always happen. But but yeah, so we don't really have. I, I don't I don't start out the year forecasting that. Uh, we, we started out just hoping to hit that 140,000 mark. And, you know, we really are pretty, we, we know where we're going to be in Q1 of, of 2020 when we're roughly in late Q3 or early Q4 of 2019. Right. You know, so again, it, it, it'll sort of be our experience. And, and as we've been growing over the past several years, um, we've, it's been more, let's just keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling because in order for us to hit those goals, we've, we've been kind of pushing everything along the way. So I guess one of the questions I have is when you're creating uh, the job schedules, which then translates to your master schedule, are you thinking about the draws as related to uh, weekly income or are you just simply setting draws uh, at milestones in the project. So or I guess what I'm thinking is, do you get down to the detail of saying, okay, we've got these three projects coming up. We need to set the draws like this because if we don't, we won't have the weekly income. Um, no, again, it, it, it's, it's, a lar- it's a bigger picture uh, okay. tool. The, the calendar is sort of a bigger picture tool. Uh, the way that we set up our, our draws is we do it in a percentage of completion okay. um, instead of tying tying to a specific, you know, okay, we did drywall, now it's time for a draw. 
Uh, we roughly say, you know, if it's a 60, if, if we estimate that it's going to take 60 days to fulfill the project and we roughly have four draws, we just break it up by 25% increments and okay. draw is due at 25, 50, 75, and then at substantial completion. Um, so uh, we found that that's a fairly successful way to do it. And then once we're close to that 25 mark, we try to find one particular uh, milestone that makes it convenient for the client to feel comfortable with, you know, going ahead and submitting that we're 25% of the way through the project. Um, and, and, you know, it's, so the, the, the calendar that I use, um, it, it gives you a big picture it, view. It, it doesn't really give you that level of granularity to where you're going to be able to predict that far out. Um, okay. so it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really do that. We use QuickBooks and, yep. and other things to take care of that, but we keep, we make sure we in, we make sure we invoice and we make sure we collect those in a timely manner. And right. that's been fine to this point. And then do you get a, a detailed report from bookkeeping like every Monday that says, uh, last week, these 15 checks came in and it equals 200,000. And then you're, you're able to look at every week or at least every month, you know, are we hitting our goals? Is that uh, a function of what you do? And is there a meeting involved with that? Or is that just show up on your desk uh, or looking at it in the computer? It's not even paper. Uh, so what I have is uh, we meet every Tuesday, we being uh, Leonor Carrasco, our production manager, myself and our office manager, uh, we take a look at all of um, all of our AR, our kind of like our AR aging statement. And we open it up and take a look and see who's coming in this week, uh, which payments are due. And we make sure that the client's aware of it. We make sure that the project manager's aware of it. So uh, that, and that meeting is a standing meeting. It happens, you know, usually every Tuesday right before lunch. And that still gives us enough time throughout the week to, to check on that. We do also take a look uh, on a monthly basis to make sure that everything is tracking correctly. And then um, uh, as far as uh, when we're kind of closing out that month's books, and then we also take a quarterly evaluation of the financials of the company to make sure we're on track. So yeah, we so look I at think, it several different ways. <laughs> so I think the key thing of what I'm hearing there anyway is on a weekly basis, it's proactive. You're not waiting until the end of the week to say, what happened? You're actually right. <clears throat> sitting down with your team and saying, this is what's going to happen uh, because we know where the jobs are and we know where the bills are going out and so forth like that. Right. And we also talk, so at our on-site pre-construction meeting that we have where it's kind of the client's first time to meet the production department. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, whenever I used to hold these meetings now, now our, our current production manager takes care of them. But uh, I used to take the, the, my laptop out and I would open up and I would show them what a build, builder trend calendar looks like. We use builder trend. And um, I, I open up the payments tab and I would show them where they can find all of the information that we'd go over to the calendar and I'd show it on there where they're going to see their upcoming draws are due. And, you know, we tell them there may float one day here or there, you know, or maybe a week if something gets, you know, if the, if the project uh, uh, changes a little bit. But um, that way we're setting up the client. They know the expectation. They know how to uh, how to follow along. And then if it's us just reaching out quickly, making a, uh, a quick reminder to them that it draws new. But a lot of times we just get notifications from Builder Trend that they've either paid online or checks just show up with the project managers. So it's been a, it's been really nice for it to be built into the system. You know, if if all of us could get better at managing client expectations, 
this job would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? I think that's again. I, I'm just going to point that out as an as some like a like a gold nugget we just hit is that taking that uh, laptop to that meeting and setting it up with the client and saying, "Look, this is how we want you to behave in this process," is is absolutely huge. So now you mentioned Leonore. Um, give us a little bit more about how your production manager is engaged in this process of hitting the the numbers and maybe a little bit more, does it go further, I say down, does it go further through the chain? Are your project managers involved in this uh, dollar search and maybe then your lead carpenters? Again, I'm just kind of trying to get a feel for how many people are you engaging in this or is it simply you and the production manager and your office manager that are focused on the numbers? Uh, it, it's really the production manager and the office manager and myself. Uh, what I kind of want from all of the production staff and all of the development staff for that matter, because you know, if they're not, if the projects aren't getting through development quickly enough, uh, they can't get the production and, and vice and, and then they can't be produced quickly. My main focus is for everyone else to sort of keep their head around what they need to be focused on. A lot of times throughout the company, you know, I've tried to explain my process and I've tried to explain the calendar and <laughs> people's eyes start to glaze over. And I just know, I just know I'm losing them. I remember, and, um, I remember you trying to explain <laughs> it to me and I think you lost. I, I'm one of them. <laughs> And so it's yeah, what it, well, the way I found it to be most successful is again just to have like the last guest uh, she said on time on budget and on purpose well ours is on time on budget with the raving fan and if our production if our production um, team can just focus on that then I know that we'll be able to hit our monthly numbers you know and and ditto for the product for the uh, development side too if they're able to. Uh, develop the project in a timely manner, get it designed, get it sold, put the package together, hand it off, that everything else is going to run smoothly and, and I'll worry about these numbers and making sure that we're hitting them. So Aaron, you know, I will say that when you do start to get into some of this number stuff, I do get some pressure behind my eyeballs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if uh, we have a bunch of smart people listening, so they'll be able to implement this. But, you know, what would be a uh, a symptom of somebody listening that would say that I need to uh, implement this or, or take what Aaron's saying and, and put this in place, what, what would I be going through or, or feeling? Well, I, uh, first of all, obviously, um, if you have some tight cash flow problems, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that would obviously be one that, that can add a lot of stress, not only to the owner and, and the management of the company, but that certainly can trickle down through throughout the whole, the whole company and it can be felt. So, uh, you know, if you continually run up against issues of, of cash flow, you need to get some sort of system in place to manage that and to sort of try to, you know, you're, you're never, it's never going to be perfect. But if you can find a way to sort of bring some equilibrium to that, it would be very, very helpful. Um, that's, that's great. Uh, that, that would be a big indicator. Yeah, I think that's a huge deal. And, and it's amazing how many people are having cash flow issues still, even yeah. with the economy. And partly it's because they're not charging enough, so they're not able to bank some cash. But partly it's because they're not collecting in a timely manner. So I, I think that's a huge thing. So go back, 
to the online bill pay. And again, I, we kind of went quickly past it. I know it's becoming a thing and we're not here to promote any particular product, but uh, give us a glimpse of how that contributes to the the ease of collections and, and so forth like that. Again, it's not something that I experienced, uh, and I, I, but I'm hearing more and more about it. So I'd like to hear from you what how that contributes to making this a reality. Um, well, one of the things uh, I'd, I'd love to say that this was uh, totally intentional to try to steal one of your words, Tim, that it was complete <laughs> intentionality, but uh, I, we sort of stumbled into this one uh, as we were using our cloud-based project management software so that we're using a generic term. It's, um, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but whenever, you know, we, we would post up the, the payment schedules into Builder Trend, and one time a client showed up at the front door coming in and said, oh, I saw my payment was due. Here you go. And, boy, just like a light bulb went off. And we were yeah. like, "Wow, we really have to try to leverage this. And and it makes it easy for the clients. They know if they've got to move some money around to make a payment or do whatever that they've got a week or so. And they, it's not just surprising it on them that they know it's approaching and they know it's coming up. And uh, it really has simplified the process, you know, because I used to send out all those invoices and um, you know, you don't want to just send an invoice. You write a nice email to the client. You say, how you doing? I stopped by the project. Oh, the cabinets look just absolutely beautiful. And you spend a few minutes writing this email. And, you know, uh, it, it just saves you some time. It really does. And by the time you get uh, a handful of projects going at once, and it can, it can save the whole entire organization some time if you're able to find ways to implement some things like that uh, into your company. But that so, was a uh, was big eye-opener. So does Builder Trend actually send them an invoice that, that you've created in that system? Uh, it, it does, well... We don't use it that way. Let me just say that. Okay. There's a lot of things that I don't know if I'm using correctly, but the way that we use it is they see on their calendar, the, the calendar view that they have, that they have a, a draw that's due okay. at a specific time. And um, <clears throat> they can they could print off a statement of sorts. Okay. Uh, but on that, on that detailed page, it kind of lists everything, what the payments that they have made, if there's change orders, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So it, it's all on there and uh, they can print it off. Okay, cool. So I'm going to throw your curveball here because, um, but, but what our listeners don't know is that the Cleary company hired a new production manager in a very, very unique way. And I, while I've got Aaron on the show here, I want him to talk to us a little bit about how they did this, why they did this, and, uh, and the results because there's lots of people out there looking for production managers and they've got ads in the papers and they're interviewing lead carpenters and all kinds of other people that live close by. You guys chose a different route. So just give us a little bit of an idea. What did you guys do? Uh, just tell us about that whole thing. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, gosh, it started back, <clears throat> I believe in the fall of last year and we were trying to to find a production manager to replace me as, as I could, could move into the general manager role and, and ex, you know, focus on those duties. Uh, so we had ads in the paper and, and we were doing the typical, the typical, um, the typical way do you go about it? And I uh, just wasn't getting the results, wasn't finding anyone. So I uh, had been contacted by LinkedIn and uh, it was someone who was selling their recruiting uh, service. 
Okay. And uh, at first I just, you know, whatever, ignored it. But the more I thought about it, I was like, let me, let me look at that. Let me look into that and see what it is. So I, I talked with LinkedIn and what it was is it's basically a subscription to their uh, recruiting tools. Okay. And you can search, you can search people, you can search jobs, you can search, um, you know, you can run filters. You're basically backdoor access to all of the profiles on LinkedIn. And so <clears throat> once I started looking on things, I, you, you can post a, you can post a, an ad there. Uh, but what, one thing that it did was the software, once you have a certain number of, uh, kind of, uh, skills and competencies and uh, job experience in there, it'll start making recommendations for, you know, people who might fit your role. And one of the unique features about LinkedIn is you can, on your profile, you can mark yourself open to new opportunities. And uh, so <clears throat> what I did is I would filter through all of those people first because they're open, they'll be more likely to have a, uh, <clears throat> be willing to have a conversation. Well, one of the other things you can do is put who, uh, or if, if you, if someone is willing to relocate to certain areas. <laughs> so uh, I filtered through both of those filters and, and the person who we wound up hiring, Leonore, uh, she was, she appeared in, in the search. And so I reached out to her and uh, reconnected with her and she was in the Bahamas. Yes. She was working for, uh, she was working for the Atlantis, one of the resorts down there. And she'd been working in the hospitality remodeling industry for approximately right. 10 years. Originally, she was uh, she's from Mexico City and has her architecture degree from uh, University of La Salle. And uh, so she, she, she totally had all of the, 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 the requisites, all of the experience and the knowledge. And, and so the conversation started and I really liked talking with her and, and what she had to say. It just so happened that right around Christmas time, she was visiting some friends and family. The reason she was willing to relocate to this area is she has friends and family in the, in the central Ohio area. Okay. And uh, so she had just so happened to also be up for, for New Year's, uh, Christmas, New Year's vacation. So we interviewed her shortly after we got back from New Year's vacation ourselves and she was still in town. And uh, I mean, it was, we, we had a really great feeling about the interview when we had it and, um, and uh, then we just worked with uh, worked with a, a local attorney to get her the specific kind of visa that she needed to get. And uh, she is now here, has been with us for uh, about three or four months now since March. So four months, I yep. think now. And uh, she's settling in. And in fact, right before we sat down to for the podcast, her and I were having one of our weekly check-in meetings where yep. we discuss how everything's going. And so it, it, it was uh, it was a, a great opportunity. Uh, very powerful tools that are available. Um, and really, honestly, I was just willing to think outside the box. You know, I, I said there are so many people and, and you know, the, where there's a temptation to say that they need to be someone who uh, has, has worn a tool belt. Right. And, and it's not a, just because they're a great lead carpenter doesn't mean they're going to make a great project manager because they're going to make great project manager doesn't mean they'll great, make a great production manager. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I did is I, I looked back over my career as, as production manager and the number of times that the guys actually came to me to try to solve a particular problem and use my technical knowledge, I could probably count on on one hand. Right. You know, you, you hire really great people who know what they're doing. And a lot of times they're able to figure things out. They'll collaborate between themselves. I needed someone who can 
organize, who can manage, who can administrate. And, um, and I found that in Leonore. And so uh, they're not, it's not always the same skill set. you know, a great project manager doesn't necessarily transition to a great production manager. Um, And so even though she'd never really uh, swung a hammer, uh, she has proven to be uh, very, very competent in a lot of the things that we need her to do. Yeah, so I, I wanted you to share that with everybody because exactly what you said about thinking outside the box a little bit and uh, just looking in some other places, uh, particularly for that production manager role. There, there's a number. I mean, if we're going to hire a lead carpenter, obviously they have to have some carpentry skills and so forth like that. Project managers probably a little less, but that production manager role is really more about managing than it is building stuff. So, uh, I. Again, I was really impressed when uh, I heard you guys had done that. And I think, I hope everybody listening can appreciate that if they're looking for that type of position to start looking in some different places, it'll, it'll, it'll pay off in the long run. So, and I'm sensing, I'm sensing a future Tim Fowler show guest in Leonore. So there we go. Maybe we can have her on sometime. Absolutely. I mean, I I will say this too, for everybody's benefit and we're going to have to wrap things up, but. Uh, Leonora was in a uh, production manager's meeting like three days after she started with the Cleary company. (laughs) She was in Boston with a bunch of guys that have been together for years. And uh, some of the gold that she put out on that table was amazing. And, And part of it was just coming from a different viewpoint. You know, we can all sit around and say, well, do this, do this, do this. And then she would speak up and say, well, why don't you try this? And everybody go like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. So I, I, I uh, learned to appreciate her within about ah, a couple hours <laughs> of being in the meeting and uh, just the, the gold that she put out. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, Aaron, thank you so much again for being with us and uh, sharing uh, some wisdom. This is one of those topics where I think people have to think about it a little bit and kind of put their own spin on it but it's an absolutely critical thing for people in business and particularly managers of a business really need to have a handle on this. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys for having me back on. It was a blast and uh, we'll see you guys here pretty soon. All right. Take care, man. Thanks so much, Aaron. Take care. Well, Tim, again, Aaron brought a lot of information. What really stuck out for you? So I think the big thing, and I made a big deal of it in the podcast, but I think the one of the big things is just, this is not just a production problem. And I, I do, maybe I'm a little partial. I love the production guys. I tend to take sides a little too much, but I do think that sometimes the cash flow issue and the collections issue is really dumped on production. And, and like a business owner will be going to the guys, look, you got to finish that this week so we can, you know, have some money to pay the bills. And, it, and, and Aaron pointed out really well that unless you've got that money coming in through design in some form, you're not going to have it in production. And he was even saying, you know, if I want to hit $140,000 a week, I have to have 160000 in design per week mm-hmm. just to make sure that when something drops. And that's another story I've heard quite often is, yeah, we lost two contracts. Now we're scrambling. Yeah. And, and that's, again – 
one of those things that I think if people paid closer attention to those kinds of things, it would even the flow out a little bit. He used the word equilibrium, which I thought was great. It's just managing a lot of the cash flow and the stress involved with that. And you, I mean, you just said it, that feast or famine of losing a job or two in yeah. the, and, and then you're just stuck and scrambling and it's just a bad position to be in. So, And I think the other thing that he mentioned, which a lot of business owners are really reluctant to do, but is to, you know, put somebody on hold a little bit until production catches up and then get them into the pipeline instead of dumping, you know, a million dollars worth of work into the first three weeks. I'm making exaggerating here, but into the first three weeks of the year saying to Mr. And Mrs. Fowler, look, you know, we love having you on board. We're going to, we're going to start you in March. And what that does is that evens the flow out as well. And so getting that balance between design, production, and cash flow is absolutely huge. Yeah. And one last thing is just, Tim, I think I just want to cap it off with the word you used, intentionality. It's, yeah. Man, that's important. First time I heard you say it, it is great. So we yeah. want to thank once again, Aaron Enfinger for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. And remember... At the Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.